Hey, my name is Phil, and this is my wife, Meredith, and we are the pastors here at Cornerstone Church. We're so glad that you have connected with us here today and that you're getting ready to listen to a message that we know is going to build a resilient faith in your life. Right now, in this moment and in our days ahead, let's continue declaring Jesus over every situation. Enjoy the message. Acts 2, verses 2 through 3 say, And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting that's the part we read last week this week i want to read one more verse to you going into verse three it says and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and they rested on each one of them father god i thank you that you are in this place i thank you that you are moving in us We ask you, God, for a fresh wind. We ask you to help us be prepared and ready, God, for the wind of your spirit moving in this place, moving in our lives. And God, we ask for a fresh fire in our hearts, in our life, in our spirit today. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can be seated right where you are. One week into prayer and fasting, how you guys doing? Oh, there wasn't enough strength in that. You're like, well, we're doing. It's happening. One week in. One week in for me is about the point where it turns, right? Where it kind of like, I'm like, oh, okay, I can catch the rhythm of this now. One week in isn't quite so bad. Once you get past those initial days, the hardest two days for me are the first two days because I like caffeine. And it takes about 48 hours for your body to fully detox of caffeine. So it takes me till about day three to really get into it. But I'm excited to be into our fast. And I just want to remind you that we're fasting together until the end of this month. We're fasting until the 30th of this month, which is our Declaration Sunday. On that Sunday, we'll break our fast together corporately in the middle of service, but as well, we are gonna have a time of bringing in our declaration offerings together. Our declaration offering is our above and beyond offering. It's our offering that stretches, it's beyond our tithes, it's beyond our regular giving. It's our statement to God that we believe that you are going to do exceedingly, abundantly, way more. So I just wanna encourage you to be praying over this time. What is a stretch above and beyond offering for you and your family that you're going to bring in. For Phil and I, that looks like taking time separately during our time of fasting and prayer and praying about what God's putting on our heart to give. And then we'll sit down sometime the week before the 30th, and we'll sit down and we'll have a conversation and say, what are you giving? What are you thinking about we should give? What are you thinking? And it's always kind of a little bit of like a roulette of like who's going to be like the more generous or the more like stretching of the two of us, but I want to encourage you to go ahead and just whatever, if that's you and yourself going, okay, what can I give this year? What's going to be above and beyond for me? I want to encourage you to go ahead and just be planning and thinking about that, praying something that's going to stretch and go out above and beyond what God has, what you have seen God do before. We've had so many great stories of the way God's moved in people's lives over this last year when we stretch to meet God because we can't outdo God. He is far exceedingly above and beyond. 
So I'm really looking forward to what God's going to do through our church family in this season. Awesome. All right, I'm just trying to feel out where we're going today. I Can you hand me my phone? We're, I'm going to change directions. I had this really cool message, and we're going to continue in Windward. Um, and to be honest, Tracy did a lot of it in the offering, which was cool. Because basically, I'll give you two points. What I was going to talk about is getting your fire back. If you feel like you've lost your fire for life, and the way that you do that is that you create space in your life for God. You create space in your life for the wind of God to move in your life. And then the other way you do that is through the power of your words, of the things that you speak out, of the things that you declare over your life. Your words are a powerful force that create the life that you live in. So you can go back and you can look at uh, Ezekiel 37 if you want to study some of that out. But really, Tracy summarized it really well. And I, I want to change directions this morning. I'm going to take a pause on our series. And I, talk, I want us to talk about grief. I want us to talk about what do we do when we're disappointed with God? What do we do when we stand in moments and we say, God, this is not what I believed for. This is not what I prayed for. This isn't what I thought you spoke to me. What do we do with grief, with that deep feeling of heaviness? It comes at us from all kinds. Because we live in this fallen, broken world, we're going to experience grief. We live in this space that's muddled up with humanity and muddled up with all of the things that we go through and with all of the broken pieces. And sometimes it's something huge and tragic and sometimes the hardest grief to process is the grief that we didn't see coming. It's small things. It's the little things that you think, this is ridiculous. Why am I sad about this? True story. We, I um, have been decorating uh, like a front room in our house and it's been a big deal for us because like all of the furniture in our house is furniture that either was given to us from somebody who was like, hey, I don't want this couch anymore. Do you want it? And we were like, yeah, sure. Or it's like something we absolutely had to buy like a crib, right? We don't have a lot of furniture in our house that we intentionally said, what do we want this room to look like? And so we have this front room, and I, I was like, I am going to buy intentional furniture that matches each other to go in this front room. It's a very exciting stage of life for me. I've never been here before, and I was thrilled about it. So I've been decorating this room slowly but surely. It's not really in my skill set. I've been working on it. Okay, so I had this kind of like Ottoman thing that I kind of liked and Phil didn't like. And so then he went and he bought this other coffee table and he went and he swapped out the coffee table and he said, hey, I like this coffee table better than the Ottoman. It matches. It goes with all of the stuff. True story. I sat in that room yesterday looking at that coffee table and I was like, I legitimately feel sad right now about this coffee table not being the original ottoman that I purchased. Sometimes grief is super big things like the passing of a loved one, like the breakdown of a relationship and walking through the pain of divorce. Sometimes grief just hits us sideways and you're like, why am I sad about this table? But in our Western culture, we don't have a lot of context for what we do with our grief. 
we don't have a lot of context for how we process that and where we take that and what we do with it. We can, uh, we can thank you know, all of the European heritage that has influenced our broader culture, whether your family is originally from European continents or not. It influences the culture that we live in. Because the, the culture that scripture was written in is a culture, if you read throughout the Old Testament, that is filled with expressing and demonstrating grief. Have you ever read some of the Old Testament and it says, and they ripped their clothes and they cried out to God. Now please, do not rip your clothes this morning. Keep them where they are. But there's something about this demonstration. They would cover themselves in ashes. They would intentionally wear different clothing or cry out that gave voice to the deep longing that happens, to the deep despair, to the deep disappointment that happens inside our souls when we come and we experience grief. If you don't hear anything else today, I want you to hear that when you walk through seasons of grief, when you walk through moments of grief and of sadness, the answer is not to bury it down. The answer is not to chin up. We live in a time that so values the ability for somebody to chin it up and carry on to just deal with it and show up and stand up and walk through like nothing ever happened, like they threw their shoulders back and let everything hit them and look how strong they are. That's not strength. That's burying. Strength is looking plainly at where I am. Strength is looking plainly at the moment and giving voice to the pain, giving voice to the disappointment, giving voice to the grief, giving voice to what we have just walked through. It's saying, that relationship let me down. It's finding a place to speak to that thing, and it's finding a way to process that with God. It's finding a way to walk through it and to know that he has never asked us to always live on the bright side of life. That he has never asked us to always look for rainbows, to always be charging another mountain. There are mountains to be charged, and there are hills to be taken. But in between our mountains and our hills, there are valleys to sit in. There are valley moments that he walks us through, that he walks with us through. He walks with us through because there is a different side of who God is that you learn in the valley of disappointment and in the valley of grief. Some of the best advice I ever got when Phil and I were dating is to, really before he and I started dating, when I was in the dating phase of my life, was to have as many experiences as possible with the person that you are dating. If you're dating someone right now, let me encourage you. Have as many possible types of experiences as you can with that person. Meaning, a lot of times we go on dates and we do like the same thing all the time, right? We go out to dinner, we go see a movie, we go home. We go out to dinner, we go see a movie, we go home. That means you know how that person acts at a restaurant, at a theater, and maybe at home, maybe in a car, in between. 
But the different life experiences we have show us different sides of each other. And Phil and I had all kinds of different experiences. We went through lots of fun, exciting times, and we got to see how each other were when we were thrilled at life. And we went through times where we were working really difficult seasons, and we got to see how each other were when we were working in different spaces and different times. We got to see each other in stressful situations. We walked through some family trials together and got to see how each other responded to that. There is a side of God that you never experience if you only bring to him your happy moments. If you only bring to him your I'm filled with faith moment. If you only bring to him your I'm believing for the next great thing in my life moment. Yes, he wants you to be filled with faith, but he wants you to have a faith that can also come to him sometimes and say, God, I feel broken today. God, I feel hurting today. God, I didn't understand what just happened here. I feel in shock. I feel in awe. I feel numb all the way to the core of who I am. When you come to God with that, there's another side of who God is that we get to experience. There's another part of the way that he's the comforter that we get to experience, the way that he sits with us, the way that he listens to you, the way that he wraps his loving arms around you and draws near to you in seasons of grief and in seasons of brokenness. There is a side of who God is that in a moment of grief, he can walk to you and wrap his loving arms around you. There is a part of your maturing, there is a part, there is something um, that you take from eating the fruit of grief that you can't take from other fruit. What do I mean by that? There are certain nutrients that I get in life from different fruit and different vegetables. If you're Daniel's fasting, you know that there are some nutrients that you have experienced that your body is like, whoa, I haven't tasted that in a while. There's some things that we take. Okay, so let me tell you something. This, I don't know. This is what I do. I'm kind of weird. So sometimes if you get a cold, a garlic is really good for getting your body back on track. Yes. All my homeopathic people were like, yes. I felt that. So this is ridiculous. I, do, I am not a doctor and I do not recommend this, but it is what I have done, right? I have taken a whole clove of garlic and chewed and eaten a whole clove of garlic. It is bitter and it is nasty and it burns and I do not look forward to doing it any times in my life. But there is something in the nutrients of that bitter taste that my body grows from. There is something nutrient to your spirit about dealing with grief that you don't get from any other fruit. So when you're walking through grief, don't grit your teeth and don't purse your lips and say, I'm not eating this, I'm avoiding it and I'm distracted by it and I'm pretending it's not going on and I'm just waiting, just Eat the nutrients 
and see what God grows in your life from walking through a fresh season with him. See what God will grow in your life when you eat of that tree, when you eat of, because there are other trees for you to eat from, and there are other trees that we get to eat from far more often and far more regularly, and I look forward to when I go and I get to eat apples because they're also good for my body, and I look forward when I get to go and I eat cucumbers because they're also good for my body, but every so often, it's good for me to chew on some garlic and to get that nutrients in me. Every so often there is a nutrient that you get from chewing on what happens to us in grief that you can't get in any other place. I wanna look at Psalm 119. This is gonna be a little bit sloppier today because like I said, I was going somewhere else. And I got some thoughts. Psalm 119, and let's look at, I think it's 71. Yeah, yep, in Psalm 71, the psalmist says this. It says, it was good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. It was good for me. Now, that's a view you don't often get until you go to the other side. That's why we have to learn to walk through the valley of grief. But we learn to say, it was good for me that I ate of that. It was good for me that I grew in that. It was good for me that I processed that thing at the feet of Jesus. It was good for my body to chew on that for a minute, to think, why does this impact me in this way? Why do I feel this way? What is this disappointment? What is this lack of understanding? Where is this distrust that gets rattled in me when things don't go the way that, what is this, Jesus? And to come before him and to say, it was good for me that I ate of this fruit. When you're in the middle of grief, I've already said that the Lord draws close to the brokenhearted. But what we've learned to do when we're in the middle of grief is to give our attention to just how close he is. Give our attention to just how near to us Jesus is walking. Give our attention to how the family of God rallies around us. Give our attention. And if you're not the one walking through grief, then be reminded of how much scripture tells us, especially the New Testament, as Jesus followers, that we are here for one another that we are here to carry one another, that we are here to walk with one another, that we are here to support one another, that that means that we rejoice with one another, but it also means that we mourn with one another and that we carry one another. It means when my brother or sister finds themselves in grief, sometimes we get stuck in this place of, I don't really know what to do. I don't really know what to say and I don't really want to mess it up and I don't really want to not do anything at all. So what I do is just nothing. And I just sit back because I'm nervous that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mess it up or I don't want to be intrusive. We have all of these lies that we start believing. We have all of these lies that prevent us and block us from actually going into the place of helping, of caring, of being with one another. We tell ourselves things like, well, I don't want to intrude on them. We tell ourselves things like, well, I don't want to overstep on them. We tell ourselves things like, well, they probably just want to be left alone right now. But scripture says that when one of us is hurting, the rest of us should rally around them. 
that we become the visible demonstration. Jesus is close to them in spirit, but Jesus becomes close to them in body when the body of Christ rallies around. We rally around in prayer. We rally around in encouragement. When you feel despair, when you feel uncertain, when you feel like you don't know who God is, the body of Christ comes around you and says, let me remind you who he is. Let me remind you how good he is. Let me remind remind you how he's been faithful to you in seasons before. Let me remind you, you don't have to remember right now. You don't have to feel strong right now because I feel strong right now. So I can come around you and I can offer encouragement. I can offer strength to you. I can offer support to you. I can say that that's okay. Just lean on me in this moment. Let me carry you for a while. I know that you can't walk this leg, so we're going to pick you up and we're going to carry you the next leg into until your strength comes back to you, until your spirit comes back to you. That's why we have to learn how to confess when we are, this is the strange creation that we have created, is that I feel grief and mourning, but I feel like I'm not allowed to talk about it, or I feel like I don't know where to speak about it, so I don't say anything about it. And if someone happens to hear that I'm in grief and I'm in mourning, even though I'm not talking about it, the enemy has convinced them that they shouldn't be intrusive and they shouldn't get in other people's business. And so I'm over here in grief and mourning by myself, wishing someone would pick me up and carry me. And I'm over here in strength all by myself, feeling like, well, I shouldn't get involved. When what God has called us to do is confess to one another, I feel weak today. I feel burdened today. I feel overwhelmed today. I'm doubting God today. It's not that I think that he's not there, but I don't understand what he's doing in my life so that I can say, oh, it's okay that you feel weak today. Let me pick you up and let me carry you. It's okay that you feel uncertain today. Let me tell you about how good God is in my life. It's okay that you're doubting who he is. Let me tell you about the season that I doubted him and how he brought me through it so that we can come together when we feel in grief and in mourning. Don't run to the place of isolation. Run to the place of the family of God. Run to the community that he has made you part of. Run to one another so that we can live in the closeness that he has created us to live in, to be the community of God. When one of us is weak, one of us carries us. When one of us is mourning, the other one comes in with the gift of encouragement. When you are walking through grief, we have walked through so much grief. Look, there is no easy way of saying that the last almost two years now has been filled with grief for so many of us. Filled with grieving, for us, grieving things like family trips, which you go, they're inconsequential in the greater scheme of things, but we had plans to go see family who lives overseas that hasn't happened. And it's easy to bury that feeling. And I know many of you had things, you had plans around anniversaries that you were gonna go do something great and exciting for your 25th anniversary, and that got canceled. And you tell yourself it's small and it's insignificant and it doesn't really matter because the great big world, but it matters to God. It matters because you're feeling it. It matters because it impacted you and it's okay to grieve it. 
and we've lost jobs and we've lost experiences and what graduations should have looked like and we've lost people and loved ones who are close to us and we've lost dreams and hopes and plans and have you taken the time to grieve it? Have you taken the time to lament, to cry out to God? Lament is not this soft word that means to sit quietly and weep in a corner with a handkerchief. Lament means to cry out. It has a physical component to it that we go from the depths of our soul and we go to God and we say, why is this the way that it is? God, why have you left me? Read through the Psalms. The Psalms, it's not full of times that are just filled with rejoicing. It's filled with times as well of the psalmist saying, God, why have you forsaken me? God, why have you left me in this moment? God, why do you still see me? It's the same thing that Jesus cried out in the garden. When he went to the garden and he said, sorry, when he was on the cross, when he was on the cross and he said, God, why have you forsaken me? That feeling of grief that causes us to say, God, do you even still see me? When you're in that moment, take the question to God. Do you even still see me? And don't let it turn into the lie of the enemy that he doesn't. Because God will answer you with the affirmative, I see you. I see you in the midst of your pain. I see you in the midst of your trouble. I see you in the midst of your questioning. I see you in the midst of what you're doing. I see you in the midst of your doubt. I was there in the hurting. I was there with you the whole time. But the enemy wants to come into it. And he wants to tell you God left you. God forgot you. That's a lie. Psalms 34, what does it tell us? That God is close to us when we are broken hearted. That he draws near to us in the moments of broken heartedness. And then a reminder that joy does return. When we are in grief, don't lose sight of the fact that joy comes again. That there is joy on the other side of this moment. That there is joy on the other side of this experience. That there is a returning to the joy that you once knew. And it will be a different kind, a more mature joy that has gone through a season of grief. When you have experienced grief, it makes experiencing joy that much more bright. It's filled with a new kind of light because you know, you don't really know how good sunshine is until you've lived through winter in the Midwest. You know what I mean? Like people in Florida, they get excited about the sun, but they don't get excited about the sun like I get excited about the sun. Because I know what it's like to live under a cloudy sky. And you might feel like you're living under a cloudy sky right now. You might feel like you're living in a cloudy season. And I know in a room this big and with people, this many people joining online, everyone isn't in a season of grief, but you will have at some point a season of grief, a season where you feel like, why won't the clouds break in my life? 
Why won't the clouds part in my life? A season where you feel like the heaviness is too much, where you feel like the darkness just won't quite lift. His promise is that his joy comes in the morning, right? That sorrow may last for a night, but joy comes in the morning. That's what the scripture said. And that's not like a 24-hour thing. It's, a, it's poetic language to say that sorrow lasts for a season and joy comes in another season. That there is an end to sorrow and a returning of joy in your life. So look ahead with hope. Look ahead with optimism for the moment of joy that is coming. Look ahead with excitement for the moment that is coming when his joy will return to you. And this is the thing. When you go through deep grief, like not my table grief thing, right? Like I got over that in about 10 minutes. Okay? Not grief like that. When you go through deep grief, grief that you carry for a season, when joy starts cracking, we have this tendency to feel like it's dishonoring to whatever the thing or the person I lost was to feel the joy again. But when his joy returns to us, walk into that joy with confidence Walk into that joy with assurance that it's his goodness that has brought his light into your life again. That it's his goodness that has shined his light onto you again. Walk into that space knowing that the grief was never meant to last forever. It's for a season and his joy returns to you. Because while there, while there might be nutrients to take from the grief, joy is what he's given us. What did he give us? He gave us righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Righteousness, peace, and joy. Come on, who's, who grew up like in the 90s? Righteousness, joy, and peace. Yeah, come on. You know the song. He gave you joy. To walk into. He gave you joy to live in. He gave you joy to live out your days in. And when the sun starts shining again, you can walk into that joy with great assurance. I'm just looking. I wanted to read. I'm not sure if it's Psalms 40 or Psalms 42 here. So let's see. Yeah, Psalm 42. Psalm 42, when we're in that place of deep desperation, when we're in that place of sorrow and of grief, if that's where you are today, I want you to hear this psalm read over you. This is a psalm that David wrote. Is that right? Yeah. A psalm, a psalm that was written in a time of desperation, a time of grief. And this is what it says. It says, as a deer pants for flowing stream, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. Have you ever felt that way? Like all I can do is cry. All I can do is weep before him. I go to bed weeping and I wake up weeping. My tears have been my food for day and night. And while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? 
These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with a throng and lead them in processions to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. In verse 5 here, you see the shift that begins to happen. As he says, I'm taking direction for my life. I won't always live in this pit. I'm getting a vision for the joy that I will have again. I'm getting a vision for the hope that I will have again. I'm getting a vision for the place that God will take me again. Why are you downcast? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, and therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and Hermon and Mount Mazar, deep calls to deep, and the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves has gone before me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. And I say to my God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? As with the deadly wound in my bones and the adversaries taunt me, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you downcast, O oh, my soul? And why are you at turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. In the midst of deep despair, the psalmist doesn't lose their hope that again they will praise God. It's not saying in this moment I feel rejoicing. It's saying I've set my sights on who my God is. I've set my direction on who my God is. I've set my declaration on who my God is, that I have built my life on a solid rock foundation. And so when I feel despair, I set my focus on him. When I feel uncertainty, I have set my focus on him. When I feel deep mourning, I have set my focus on him. I have set my intention to look at God. And I say, yes, in this moment, I don't feel rejoicing, but I will again someday. In this moment, I don't feel like praising, but I will again someday. In this moment, I don't feel like lifting up and rejoicing and clapping and dancing, but I will again someday. In my moment of grief, I might sit here, but I have set my intentions that I won't get lost here, that I won't be left here, that I won't be forgotten here in this place of despair and of grief. This might be my right now, but it is not my forever, and that is what I want you to hear today. If you are feeling deep grief, if you are feeling deep despair, if you are feeling the turmoil of the inward soul that says, I'm not sure, God, why have you forgotten me? That might be your today, but you will not live there forever. You will not live there for always. You will not be left there for the rest of the days of your life. Morning lasts for an evening, but joy comes in the morning. There is joy still coming for you 
ahead. There is joy still coming for you next. There is a sweeping wind of God that will bring the life back into your body. He will breathe again the ruach of God that brought life to all creation. It's the same wind of God that came rushing in and said, let there be life in your spirit. Here comes the wind of God. It brings with it refreshing. It brings with it joy. It brings with it healing from all pain and grief and despair. You will hope again. You will have joy again. You will rejoice and sing and dance and shout again. Because Jesus walks with you in every moment. And the power of your words to direct your life. When you are in moments of grief, cry out the grief to God. But be careful of the frame that you create for your life. A frame that says, I'll never get over this. I'll never move past this. I'm never going to smile again. I'm never going to feel again the words that you create Oh, what did Proverbs say? Proverbs told us that life and death are in the power of the tongue. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. Are you creating the abundant life that he has for you? Are you speaking yourself into the future that he has for you? Or are you speaking yourself into a heaviness? Are you extinguishing the life, the power, the fire that God has for you with the words that you speak? Walking around like a wet blanket somewhere. You know, that's where like that term comes from. Like when you have fire and they used to get those wet blankets and then put out fire with wet blankets. Are you living your life that way? Every time a a, a flimmer of a flame fires back up in you, you throw a wet blanket on top of it. I'm never going to feel that joy again. Or have you created with your words the life that God has for you? Are you creating with your speech the place that he wants to take you? Are you creating with your words? Are you speaking and framed? This is not like the power of positive confession. This is that he has given you the power to direct your life, to frame the world that you live in because your words and your thoughts and your beliefs are have such a symbiotic relationship that when you speak it out, it creates the trajectory of your life. And so instead of saying I'll never get over this can you say I feel so bad right now but God I will rejoice again someday I feel the heaviness right now but I will lift up your name God I'm not sure what to do with this but I will be found in your house all the days of my life your words can you give me the scripture in James this one I did have for today Because I love the way that James talks about the power of our tongue. I think it's James 3, 4. James 3, verse 4 says, Look at the ships also. They are so large and driven by strong winds. I want to remind you that we're talking about living windward lives. Living about, talking about being prepared and ready to catch a wind that God is blowing. It says they are guided by a very small rudder and wherever the will of the pilot directs so also the tongue is a small member yet it boasts of great things how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small 
fire. Your words have the power to set fire in your life. The fire comes from God, but you fan that flame with the power of your words. The power of your words to direct. This is, we get it backwards. The problem is that we live in a way where we think, well, when I feel that way, when I get to that place, that's when I'll begin to speak. And that when I finally am CEO of that company, when I finally feel over this grief, when I finally live in that home, then my words will reflect the joy that I ought to feel. Then my words will be filled with life and will be filled with energy. But the problem is that your words are creating the reality that you live in every single day. You wake up and you say, oh, it's Monday again. I can't wait till it's Friday. But when I'm CEO, I won't feel that way. When I'm CEO, I'll be excited to come to work. No, while you're a manager, you have to get some language in your mouth that says, God brought me here. I'm here on purpose. I'm here for a reason. I make a difference when I show up. What kind of words are you speaking over your life every single day? Are they words that wrap you in grief? Are they words that keep you in despair? Are they words that shrink and limit the space that God has for you? Are they words that extinguish the flame that he has lit in your life? Or are they words that fan the flame? Come on, if you can get a coal of a flame of joy back in your life, if you can get a coal of a flame back in your life for hope, if you can get a coal of a flame back in your life of where God has for you, of the energy it takes for the things that he has for you, learn to fan that flame. Stop saying, I'm so tired. Start saying, I have energy for this. I have capacity for this thing. God made me for this thing. When I show up, it makes a difference. When I show up, the energy in the room changes. When I show up, something is about to happen. Are you able to speak it, to declare, to make a declaration? What are, this is your work for the week. What are the declarations that you're making over your life? What are the things that come out of your mouth? I'm too tired, I'm so busy, I don't have time. I'm so isolated, I'm so cut off from everyone, no one wants to be with me. Or I can do it, I have space, I have capacity, I can grow into something, I have energy for this thing, I make new friends easily, I reach out to others, I'm connected and living in a vibrant community, I support others in the way that they support me. What is the life that you are creating with the declarations that you make with your words? Because if you're gonna live in a ship that's prepared and ready, we think it's the big things in our life, the big visible things, the sales of our life, the sales that you made last quarter, are they big and are they boasting? We think it's the big things, the Instagram followers that we have to be a social media influencer. We think it's the big things, that the house that we have or the car that we drive that prove that we are positioned. But James says, it's that little thing, that little thing that nobody sees in your life, the words that you speak to yourself the words that you say out loud. It's the small part of who you are that directs your life, that directs your preparedness, that directs your readiness, that creates your belief system, that creates the thoughts that you live by. 
what are the words that you're speaking? After you reflect on the words that you're speaking over your life, I want you to think about if they are in alignment with what God says about you. And I want you to declare over your life what God says about you. I will come through this grief. I will see the sun on the other side of it. I am able. I am wanted. I am loved by God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I want you to put your name in. For God so loved Rachel that he gave his only begotten son. For God so loved Trayvon that he gave his only begotten son. For God so loved Karen. Karens are getting a really bad rap right now, and I don't know why. So if your name is Karen, like, you should double it up. God so loved Karen that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should have eternal life. And if you've never made that declaration, it's the most important declaration you can ever make with your life. Romans tells us that as we believe in our heart and we confess with our mouth, as we speak, as we declare with our mouth, then we are saved. Then we come into relationship with Jesus. If you haven't been in relationship with Jesus right now, I want to give you the chance to make that declaration. I don't want you to go home and make this one on your own. This one I want you to make together in the house of God, in the family of God to say, today I am gonna make a declaration about the direction that my life is going and I'm gonna make a statement about where God is taking me that I am gonna be a follower of Jesus. I'm gonna say a few simple words and I'd love for you to repeat them after me. We're gonna say them as a whole church together. The reason for that is because as I said earlier, when you say yes to Jesus, you also get welcomed home into a family of believers. And after you say these words, you're gonna leave. You're gonna have all kinds of thoughts in your head like that didn't really mean anything and those people don't really like you. And when you hear that, I want you to be reminded of the sound of the family of God also welcoming you home with open arms saying, oh, you did make a, a statement today that made a difference. It changed the direction of your life to following Jesus. Church, you'll repeat after me, say, dear Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I thank you for your love. And today, I wanna say that I am a follower of Jesus. I let go of a life that's totally ruled by me. And I take hold of a life that is led by Jesus. Holy Spirit, teach me how to do it. Thank you, God, for welcoming me home. Because from today, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus. Come on, you're a follower of Jesus. From today, you have made the best decision of your entire life. It won't take away all the pain, it won't take away all the grief, but it will change everything about your life.